Welcome to another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Klein, brewing great beer and giving back to the community. Is there a better combination? For Betsy Lay, my guest today, Kate Power and Jen Cuesta, that's basically a no-brainer. Betsy is the owner and all three are co-founders of Lady Justice Brewing in Aurora, Colorado. Betsy began her career working in education-based nonprofits. It was during her time at AmeriCorps Vista that she met Kate and Jen. And in 2014, they joined forces and the community-focused brewery was born. Its mission, brewing great beer to make the world a better place. And to that end, Lady Justice Brewing gives money to nonprofits and community partners that support and empower women and girls in the state of Colorado. Betsy holds a certificate from the Cybell Institute of Technology's Concise Course in Brewing Technology and also has a master's in theological studies from Perkins School of Theology at Southern Methodist University. When she's not working, Betsy likes to spend time with a good book, a good dog, and a good shot of whiskey. So let's meet and get to know this classy, committed Colorado mover and shaker. Betsy, welcome and thanks so much for joining me remotely today. Hello. Thanks for having me. Betsy, I love to go back in time and ask you initially, where did you grow up? St. Louis. I know not at a young age, but where and how did beer factor into your life? Well, you know, growing up in St. Louis, Budweiser was there, Anheuser-Busch is there, yeah. Um, So growing up in a beer town, it was always just sort of around, but I didn't really come from a family of beer drinkers or anything like that. It wasn't until I moved to Denver Um, I came out to Denver to attend the University of Denver in 2000 and stuck around, um, pretty much been here ever since. And it was there that craft beer was starting to bubble up a little bit. I mean, Denver was pretty early on in the craft beer scene. And then, of course, Coors is here, too. Uh, So I remember being handed a bottle of what I think was Breckenridge Brewery's Honey Brown Ale. Uh, like a friend of mine gave it to me at a party one night and I drank it and I was like, what is this? Right? Like this does not taste <laughs> like Bud Light. And that was sort of the beginning of this journey into learning about um, craft beer and being in Denver, that was really easy. So fat tire was everywhere to be found um, in Denver at that time, which was not true for the rest of the country. The rest of the country hadn't been introduced to fat tire yet from new Belgium. And so it was just, you know, having access to craft beer um, on a pretty regular scale. I just started drinking more of it and learning more about it. And then eventually uh, started home brewing. And that's that's really where I gained a, an appreciation for, you know, making and, and drinking beer was, was learning how to learning how to make it myself uh, really helped me understand, um, have a deeper appreciation for what was going on in the product itself. That followed your stints at AmeriCorps and Vista, correct? It was about the same time that I was homebrewing while we were um, in AmeriCorps. And that was obviously in, in Denver as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you met Kate Power and Jen Cuesta, who were all three of you sort of on the same page when it came to beers? Yeah. Uh, we, you know, the idea for Lady J came about while we were drinking beer one night at our favorite brewery in town and it was in the middle of recession and we were talking about how hard it was as vistas we had to do a lot of capacity building and a lot of fundraising 
right in the middle of the recession, you know, 2009 to 2011. Mm-hmm. And it was really hard work. And so we would get a beer and um, just talk about how much we hated our jobs, to be quite <laughs> honest. And, um, and at some point, you know, we were just like, hey, you know, as AmeriCorps Vistas, you live at the poverty level in the city in which you serve. And so we were making $10,000 a year doing this. Wow. And we were still prioritizing gathering over beer, right? And so part of it was we looked around and we're like, listen, like we're on food stamps right now. And we are still finding ways to save money to, to spend time with each other over beer. And what is that about? And why is this whole brewery packed all the time in the middle of recession? And so if beer is a thing that people are drawn to and prioritize, even when money might be tight, right. is there a way to funnel some of our beer money into these nonprofits that we're trying to help? And so that's really where it, where the idea came from. And so it was, it was just Jen and Kate and I having beers together and talking about this stuff um, over and over again. And then we finally made it happen. But initially, when you three met, it was more of a social interaction, mm-hmm. correct? You know, meeting people over a beer and just kind of schmoozing and beer brings people together. Yeah. And we were unique in the fact that uh, we actually all worked in the same office together. So we spent we were spending like 24 huh? seven. Yeah. yeah. Did you Kate feel that, you, both my roommate need, at that one. you all needed yeah. beer? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, Kate was my roommate at one point. So we were spending a lot of time together and beer, beer was just always sort of there and sort of around. And I think that's because it's just such a big part of just Denver culture in general, like Denver's social culture almost always involves some sort of craft beer. And so um, just being immersed in it, you know, really um, was really, I think what helped us make these connections and really start to understand like just how often beer is a part of our, our lives in our like social culture here in Denver. As you mentioned that you were with each other up until 2010 working at AmeriCorps Vista, but it wasn't until four years later that all three of you gave birth to this mm-hmm. incredible project and business and endeavor that you're involved with today. Yeah. So what happened was we finished our terms in 2011 and Kate and Jen both left the state to go to law school. Jen went to Cincinnati and uh, Kate went to Maine, which is where she grew up. And while Kate was in her law classes in Maine, she had to do a business law class and was working through business plans there and learning about different tax designations. And they started talking about social enterprise and and federal tax designations that have been built to help support social enterprise. And so that's really when she started to really think that this could be something we could put together and do. So she got a lot of feedback from her professors and her her peers at law school. And then um, came to Jen and I and just said like, hey, I've been working on this thing. Um, I think we could actually make it happen. Do you mind if I just keep asking people around and taking meetings and figuring out if this is possible for us? And we were like, yeah, sure, go for it. So really, those three years were during when Kate and Jen were gone. Um, And then so when they both graduated law school, they moved back to Denver and we just sort of hit the ground running almost immediately. So we started brewing together a lot. We started making plans, um, our business plan. We started fundraising. And yes, we took about... um, I would say we took two years together to really plan and and get better at brewing and really understand what we wanted to do with this project. And then we officially launched in 2016. I want to digress for just one moment because you referenced the fact that they went to law school. And I mentioned in the introduction that you have a 
master's in theology studies. Mm -hmm. Was that helpful in praying that this would get off the ground? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know, what's interesting is, uh, yeah, I got my, uh, I got my master's degree before I did AmeriCorps. So I, when I, when I graduated from my undergrad, I left Denver for a couple of years and went to grad school. I came back and what actually I found having a master's degree in theology has done is uh, I'm not a religious person at all, but uh, it was really learning how food and drink become sort of like sacred gathering in our, mm-hmm. and it has been since basically right. the beginning of civilization. And so I've always seen, you know, drinking beer with somebody is the equivalent of breaking bread with someone, right? Like it's liquid bread. Like we actually right. use, right. you know, barley to make beer. And so this idea that food and drink basically since the beginning of time has been um, a central part of how we as humans connect with each other. And so my theological background has actually really helped me understand like the ways in which people want to connect with each other mm-hmm. and hold, hold conversation with each other and how it is that as a brewery, we can be connected to our community and be connected to people in ways that are meaningful to them. Yeah. So it was, uh, it's not the most, uh, straightforward way of going about owning a business. I wouldn't recommend that anybody go get a master's in theology if they want to be a business owner, but (laughs) (laughs) um, it worked for me. And then of course, having Kate and Jen as lawyers is obviously very helpful when we were starting up because they could, they could really understand, you know, contracts and leases and this, that, and the other, and, and they could speak the language that we needed um, for the legal side of things. But I was, I was more interested in connecting with the, um, community aspect of it and, and mm-hmm. what would what would draw people to Lady Justice and why. Right. Talk about the significance of the name, which on some level is certainly very obvious, but how did you <laughs> how did you three come to that? We don't remember whose idea it was. Um but at some point somebody threw out the idea of Lady Justice is the brewery. And I think a lot of it was Kate and Jen were in law school at the time and we were really working on this idea. And so the idea of, you know, the image of Lady Justice, you know, the public figure with the um, scales and the sword and the blindfold. Right. And right. so just having a feminine icon that represents justice, you know, in our society um, seemed interesting to us. And then, of course, Kate and Jen being lawyers. So there was this fun little legal, you know, legal background to it. Uh, and then, of course, like on the more like just obvious scale, like it, we're a brewery that gives money to organizations that support and empower women. And so to just have the name Lady Justice is very to the point of what we're trying to do. Yeah. So that was, that's the name. I don't think any of us could tell you who came up with it. It might've been Kate, but we don't really know. (laughs) It was just sort of always there. Was it a slog to get this off the ground? Were people supportive of you? Three women, what the fuck do they know? You know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we got some of that for sure. Um, so being in Denver in 2014 through 2016, there were so many breweries opening up. And so when we were asking for advice or trying to figure out how we were going to raise money or anything, it was just like, oh, great. Like another person is opening a brewery yeah, in Denver, right, right? right? So there was a real fear of saturating the market. And so when we would meet with people, like Kate had a meeting with um, – 
a guy. So there's a program here in Denver that if you want to open a business, there's a group of like retired business owners who will volunteer to like walk you through your business plan. It just, you know, it's sort of like a mentoring yep. um, situation. And the guy that Kate met with was just like, he was not into it. He did not understand the importance of being a philanthropic brewery. He didn't really buy that like women were going to do this work, you know? And so when we were sharing this idea with people outside of our circle, we got a lot of doubt from folks. And we, one time, um, Kate was asked, you know, she was pitching this idea to somebody and, and they were like, well, that's great. But like, who's going to brew your beer? And Kate was like, well, we, we brew it. Like Betsy and Jen and I all know how to brew. Like we're going to brew it. And they're like, yeah, no, but who's your brewer? (laughs) And Kate was like, we know how to brew beer. We're going to do it. You know? And so there was just, because there weren't a lot of women, there still aren't a lot of women who own breweries and there were even less when we were doing this. So we got that. Um, and we still get that from time to time, but although it's a lot harder to doubt what we're doing when, you know, um, you can come in and see it, see it actually happening. But yeah, as we were opening, um, and raising money and trying to figure out this idea because, uh, a philanthropic brewery, so we give a hundred percent of our profits over cost from our beer membership sales back to nonprofits. And when we were first opening, we didn't know if this was going to work, if this idea was going to work. So we didn't want to put ourselves into a bunch of debt. <laughs> so we did a crowdsourcing campaign and we raised um, we raised 20000 which is five more than what we had planned for, which was great. And that got us enough, enough money for um, a couple months rent on a very small location and then a small a small one and a half barrel brewing system. And so we didn't have a tap room. So we needed to figure out how we were going to get our beer out to people. So we came up with this membership idea that we stole from the community supported agriculture model, which is how we got fresh produce when we were in AmeriCorps was splitting a farm share and then getting Uh the produce from that share. Uh So we said, you know, what if we steal that idea and make it, but only make it for beer. So you pay a membership to Lady J and then you get beer from us on top of that. And so Nobody was doing this at the time. And so part of another thing that we ran into is like, even the state of Colorado wasn't necessarily sure this idea was legal because nobody had done it before. And so what would make it illegal? Well, just like we were selling the memberships online and then people were buying beer somewhere else. And like, are you allowed to buy beer to go from a place that's not a liquor store and not necessarily a tap room, you know, stuff like that. And so um, they worked with us. They're like, if you're doing something like explicitly illegal, we'll let you know. But for now, like, let's see if what you're doing works. And it did. And it was legal. Thanks to Kate and Jen, I'm sure figuring that out. But um, so there were little things like that, like, because not very many people had done this before, both as like women, but also like a social enterprise brewery had not necessarily been a thing before this. And then not having a brick and mortar tap room for people to visit, like everything that we were doing was just unorthodox. But yeah, I mean, it was all unorthodox. And so we really moved slow at the beginning. Um, I remember one time we had this meeting, we were all excited about jumping in and getting towards fundraising. And we had to take a step back and be like, are we actually ready for this? Cause we only get one shot at a crowdsourcing campaign. You only get one shot to do it right. And so we had to be like, are we ready to do this right? And are we able to do this right? And so we actually took a step back and waited a whole year before we started fundraising. 
It was very slow, but it was slow on purpose. We took baby steps and very, very calculated risks at the beginning. Very calculated. Were the three of you doing things on the side to make money? Yes. So all three of us still to this day have full-time jobs that we Ah. do in addition to running the brewery. Um, I just quit my full-time job. But Kate and Jen are still lawyers. And then at the time, when we first started, when Kate and Jen moved back, um, I had just been laid off from where I was working and they were looking for jobs. So the three of us just happened to be unemployed and had a ton of time on our hands at the beginning, which I think really helped. Um, Do you think that was the stars aligned? I believe in that stuff. I think we all knew that we had this like special window where like we had nothing else going on in our lives uh, except to build this thing. And um, we had also worked, we became friends through working together. So we knew that our working relationship could, could do this. We knew how to communicate with each right, other really, really well. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. And I think that also helped a lot too. At the beginning, it was easier to do it as nights and weekends. We, we kept the membership small on purpose so that we only had to brew once a month. Um, and we had our pickup days twice a week. So we were able to slowly build into it. And then we just kept growing and growing. And by the time we thought it was necessary for us to get a tap room in a bigger brew house and to really start producing more beer, that's when we kind of had to figure out how we were going to run this thing. And so um, I, I took over ownership of Lady J so that um, I could focus on, I had a much friendlier work schedule um, than Kate and Jen did as, as lawyers. And so I was able to, to sort of work on this stuff and I was able to make my day job schedule flex a little bit for the brewery. Um, and then of course, like COVID hit, we signed a lease on this tap room three days before the state shut down for COVID. So, uh, which was really, really scary and really awful, but also at the same time, I think it really helped us ease into this. And like, we were able to take baby steps again, instead of having to jump right into it. And so there's been a lot of like blessings and cursing in all of this with the timing of everything that we've done. And it, it sort of feels like, um, we've always been able to be at least a little bit prepared and ready for whatever is happening (laughs) to us at the time, you know, flexibility. Yeah. And when COVID hit, we had only ever done a to go model for our beer distribution. We had never had a taproom before. So we didn't have any staff to lay off. We didn't have to, to shutter a building that was used to being open full time. We didn't have to do any of that. So all we had to do is figure out how to do to go beer at a bigger scale. So we already had everything we needed to do this work. And so COVID um, obviously is awful for everyone. Uh, but if there's any, any sort of silver lining to it, it was that we were already prepared for this to happen just because of how we had run our business. Oh, you were. Yeah, yeah. I, I want to talk in a minute about making this match between organizations that you have fostered or that given money to. But this is a, an incredibly embarrassing question on my part. Uh, so please bear with me. Um, how do you brew beer? <laughs> yeah, uh, a lot of people don't know how to brew beer. So it's not. And you, you also have to tell me, in addition to that, the, oh, this is so awkward, the significance of a tap room. But start with brewing mm-hmm. beer, okay? Sure. Beer is brewed basically by taking malted barley and uh, 
soaking it in hot water like you would a tea. And then you boil it, you add hops, and then you put it into a fermenter and add yeast and it ferments. And so to, to go through it step by step, um, like I start my brew day off with milling grain. So you have to break the grain up so that um, what you're doing is you're opening up the grain because inside each kernel of grain are enzymes uh, that will turn into starches and sugars that the yeast will eat to turn into alcohol. So we have to break, we have to break the grain up so that when we put it in water and heat it up, it'll start um, that heat will start extracting those sugars. And then, mm-hmm. so then you end up with a, um, what we call wort, which is really just hot bread water. <laughs> uh, okay. So we, we boil the wort. So the boil kills all the germs, right? Boil kills the botulism is something we say in Lady J a lot. Um, and then that's when you also add your hops. So the hops provide aroma and flavor. Um, the barley pro- also provides aroma and flavor, uh, more flavor than aroma, but the hops provide both. And then um, after the boil is done, we boil for 60 to 90 minutes. We transfer it and cool it down to about 70 degrees and put it into a fermenter. And that's where we add the yeast. And uh-huh. so the yeast in the fermenter, uh, essentially what it's doing is yeast eats sugars and poops out alcohol is honestly the most like simplest way to say it. Okay. Okay. So they're eating sugars, they digest the sugars and what they poop out is alcohol. (laughs) And, um, and so that's where we get alcohol from the beer. And it also like that process also contributes a lot to the flavor because it stops being this like sweet, sweet bread water and, and starts tasting more like beer. So there's a lot that it, when those sugars start breaking down with the yeast, um, it also affects the flavor quite a bit too. And that takes how long? So for your IPAs and your pale ales and ambers and all of that, um, that usually takes anywhere from 10 days to two weeks, depending on what you're brewing and how much. And then a lager uh, will take, uh, a lager takes a month at um, lower temperatures. So when you lager a beer, you're fermenting it at um, 55 degrees for 30 days. So from... Soup to nuts, the process takes how long before you're pouring it into a glass? It'll take me uh, from the brew day all the way to when you can come get it in a glass. It's um, for most of our beers, it's about 12 days. 12 days. And for a lager, it's about 32. So when I'm coming to you to have a glass of Lady Justice brewed beer, am I going to that tap room to do this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, now we have a tap room, uh, which we didn't before 2020. So we have a tap room and also behind the tap room is our brew house. So we have a seven barrel brew house. So when I brew, I brew 14 kegs of beer at a time on this system. When we first started, I was brewing two kegs of beer on our wow. little tiny system. Yeah. Wow. So in Colorado, every state has different laws about where you can consume beer and how. And so um, in Colorado, you're able to have a tap room that serves that serves beer that's made on site. And so that's what we have here. We have a tap room that has a 45 person capacity. So it's, you know, it's small. It's about a thousand square feet. The tap it's room intimate. Yes. Yeah, so you're getting beer that is connected directly to our 
big walk-in cooler with with all the beer that I've been brewing. So in spite of the pandemic, people are coming and enjoying a beer or two yeah. or three. We opened in April of 2020, um, and we have a big garage door right here. And we opened up the garage door and sold beer to go right out the right out of the garage door. Uh, and then slowly Denver started to open up uh, and we were able to have folks inside masked, seated six feet apart. So we could ah, fit at, mm-hmm. at tables mm-hmm. being six feet apart and without any bar seating, we could fit like we are legally allowed to fit 22 people in this space. So that's not really a sustainable business model there either. So we were still um, really relying on to-go beer and liquor store distribution. And then as stuff opened up, we finally, just at the like end of May, beginning of June, were able to come and have tables and bar seating back and we were at full capacity. So we've really only been at full, like quote unquote, normal capacity really since June. Yeah, so we're still learning the space um, at its full capacity because we we weren't in here pre-COVID. You know, we we moved in um, when COVID started, so we're still learning what that looks like and and trying to figure out um, what our numbers actually look like. It's hard to do budget projections when you've only known <laughs> life in a pandemic and haven't really been able to see full traffic yet. So so we're working on that, and then. We need to ramp up distribution. Sure. So we'll oh, be wow. out in, in more restaurants and bars and more liquor stores with kegs and cans. Do you advertise? Our main source of advertising is via social media. And word of mouth? And word of mouth, yeah. We do some like Facebook, targeted Facebook advertising, but that's that's really all we do. We also do get a lot of press. Um, so uh, media has really been a has really helped with the word of mouth piece too. But Allison, who's also my wife, she's our director of marketing and social media. And she, um, she did that as a career, a full-time career for 10 years. She's very good at it. So she's cultivated this media space for us, the social media space for us that is really, um, Mm -hmm. it's really wonderful. And it seems to be unique. People tell us all the time how different our social media feels from other, other businesses. And so, I think that's helped, um, honestly, drive most of our sales. So, like, I I went and sold beer to a bar yesterday, and they were like, "Yeah, I know you because I've been following you on social for a year." And you know, uh, so, uh-huh. yeah. But you're also an anomaly, so that also helps to pique interest and to kind of drive up sales. Yeah, let's check these broads out. There's sort of two models that tap rooms sort of end up fitting into you either become a destination brewery or you're just, you know, the neighborhood brewery that people go to because it's around the corner and easy to get to and all of that. And I'm learning that even though we're in a, we're in a highly urban area with lots of people who live nearby, I think that we're sort of actually leaning more towards becoming a destination brewery. So we have people who visit us from outside the city and outside the state all of the time. And we have people who say like, Hey, I saw, saw you in, in the newspaper or saw you on, on the news. And we want to, we've been wanting to come see you. You've been on my list of must check out breweries for a couple of years now. So we're starting to become a destination brewery, which, um, 
which is just interesting. We also have regulars, like we have trivia on Wednesdays. We have a great group of regulars who come every Wednesday, like dedicated trivia teams. And they've all started to become like friends with each other. It's really fun to watch. So we do have the neighborhood piece. Um, we do have regulars that we have gotten to know really well in here, but we also um, daily have people stop by who, who are passing through town and have just um, had it on their bucket list to come see us. Well, I would also imagine that a draw is the fact that they are making a contribution. Mm-hmm. It's a social statement. What we do here is social enterprise is is the sexy term for what we do. But basically, instead of having um, a focus on on bottom line and, and profit for me as the owner, the the focus right. is on raising profit so that we can donate it back into the community. And so especially during COVID, I think people started to really learn the value of spending dollars. And every one of us as consumers, we hold power in in where we choose to spend our money. And sometimes it doesn't necessarily feel like it, especially like if you live in a rural area and the only place to get your groceries is Walmart, it's hard to feel like you have power in that. Sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There are local small businesses in every town, everywhere, right? And so there are ways that either rural or urban, suburban, there are ways that we can we can at least make some sort of statement from where we choose to shop. And that's something that doesn't necessarily get focused on a lot in our story, but it's a really important part of our story to me. And people have asked, since the beginning, people have asked, you know, what's your goal for Lady Justice? And And my goal for Lady Justice is obviously I want Lady J to succeed and I want us to be an example of, of doing this well. But really what I want to have happen is for people to understand that um, where you spend your dollars matters. And especially like during COVID, you can see like, Hey, my favorite restaurant's going to shut down if I don't get food from them. Right. Like that's really what we st- We started seeing it in real, real life. Sure. Um, sure. What I want people to start to understand is twofold that like, if you want to open a brewery that gives back to your community, you can do it and you can do it successfully because we're doing it. But also as a consumer, you can really make wonderful positive changes in your community from choosing where you shop every day. It's not about us being some of the only women doing this. It's not about any of that. It starts to become about just who we are as like consumers and, and who we are as members of our own community. So it, it sort of, as human yeah, beings. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So it sort of starts to lift us out of just like the beer tunnel and looking at you know, our communities as a whole. I'm curious, share with me who has been on the receiving end of your good works. We've donated to probably close to 40 nonprofits since we opened. Um, This year, our membership, um, our membership sales paid. We were able to donate out $8,000 from our memberships this year. 4,000 of that went to um, Rangeview High School, which is a local high school here in Aurora, Colorado. And they have a program called the Girl Rising Program. And so that money was split up and given to two girls, uh, seniors who are going off to college. So they're getting money for, it was scholarship money for them for college. And then the other 4,000 went to Frontline Farming, which is um, a black woman owned. She's really, her big focus is food justice. And she sets up uh, many like community farms all throughout the Denver metro area. But her thing is really talking about um, 
justice and economic impacts surrounding food. And so we gave to her um, that this year. Uh, we've given to uh, outdoor wilderness education models. Uh, we've given to, there's a group that teaches single moms how to fix their car so that if they don't have somebody around who can fix their car and they need to get their kids to school or they need to get to work, they can do that. So like really, we wow. keep it broad on purpose. Um, when we were grant writers in our AmeriCorps days, there is so often this temptation, especially to get money that's based on specific programming. So a lot of times what nonprofits will do is they'll build a program based on a grant that they want to receive. And that's just not sustainable. Like you don't want to build programming that you uh -huh. don't necessarily have the capacity to, to really do well. So we never wanted that to happen. So we always wanted our giving to be broad and pretty general so that we could really have the freedom to sort of, sort of, um, choose, choose sort of whatever's coming at us without having to have too many, um, too many barriers to that. Are your decisions political at all? Not always, uh, something that protected us from that. When we, when we first opened, we were a low profit limited liability company. And that goes back to what Kate was learning in her business law classes about tax designations. So in 2014, um, the federal government set up, I guess it was before that. But anyway, so the federal government started seeing like what Tom's Shoes was doing was the big, biggest example or like Newman's Own, where you're, you're producing mm -hmm. a product specifically to be philanthropic, but you're not a not-for-profit. You're not a nonprofit, like you're a full-fledged business. So how do we, de you know, like is there a tax designation for that? So we... Is that walking a fine line of sorts? Yes. Yeah. And what do you owe your investors and your board of directors if you're giving your profit away, right? So like, mm -hmm. yeah, sure, sure, sure. So that's what the low profit limited liability uh, is set up to help sort of guide that. And so we started as an L3C, but part of the rules are when you're an L3C is you're not allowed to use money from your L3C to lobby or to support political um, uh, candidates. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so it actually protected us from, from getting political in our early days. When we moved into the tap room, I switched this over to an LLC simply because it was uh, L3Cs still aren't recognized by the state of Colorado. So we were a foreign entity operating in Colorado and it was getting messy. <laughs> and so I was like, let's uh -huh. bring it all to Colorado. We can still do everything we want to do as an LLC because I'm the sole owner. If we need to change it later, we can. So we're, we're able to be more political now and not have to worry about the federal government coming after us. Um, but we still try to be, we, we still try to focus our attention outside of the political sphere in certain ways. Um, we, we try to, to make more stances about community and about supporting one another as neighbors and friends and not necessarily about, um, legislation being passed or, or politicians. Gotcha. And that's, and that's very broad. Um, like we've had politicians come in and so Elizabeth Warren came and visited us, uh, when she was oh, campaigning nice. at the very beginning of her campaign. Yeah. Elizabeth Warren was running for president in April of 2019. Um, and she stopped by and, um, and she was one example of like wanting to, obviously be excited about a pretty major national person at the time coming by and like seeing us. 
um, and try not to get too political about it. And so we try to walk the line. We try not to be overly political, but it, it can happen sometimes. Um, and now that we're an LLC, we don't have to worry about at least getting charged from the federal government. I'm curious, is there a camaraderie among brewers? Mm-hmm. There is, um, you know, especially in Denver, but beer in general is uh, a fairly friendly place. And there does seem like there are a lot of breweries in the country. And there are. There's, I don't remember what the most recent numbers are. But by, you know, like, there are thousands of breweries in the country. So it's a it's an industry. Craft beer is a growing industry. So there's a lot more people who work in it now. But on the grand scheme of things, there actually aren't that many brewers in the world. It's a highly technical job. It's a job that's not necessarily understood. It's not a job that you can get um, a formal education for or hasn't, you know, there are, mm-hmm. there are brewing certificates and now there are actually some like um, bachelor's and master's of science in brewing, but that's brand oh, wow. new. So most of, most brewers have learned from the people who came before them, which is, which is cool. And so there is this camaraderie among us. Uh, I have found that there's a lot of camaraderie among women in the beer industry women in the beer industry seem to have a special camaraderie with each other. And there's this, there's a me too reckoning happening in craft beer right now as well. Um, that's been going on for, um, about three months now, three or four months. And so there's even more attention, I think, paid to our, um, our culture as colleagues and how we treat each other. And I think that's also, um, bringing women together in a, in a way that, hasn't necessarily happened before. So, right. uh, so yeah, so there's a lot happening right now and there's a lot of focus on the brewing industry, both in terms of um, an employment culture, but also a social culture. And so I think, yeah, I think we're at this really interesting time right now for, for brewers, especially to really decide like, you know, how are we going to be with each other in these spaces and are we going to respect each other? And, and so, yeah, there's there's a lot of really interesting stuff going on right now. I often ask this of my guests. <laughs> if I was your fairy godmother, <laughs> what what would you ask me for? Oh, goodness. Yeah. Um, you know, I for for Lady Justice, I would love to see us just keep growing in the space that we're in. And it already is starting to feel a little too small. So, you know, just what I would really love is for us to become known for the quality of our product. A lot of people want to talk about our philanthropic mission and they want to talk about us being women in the space. Not a lot of people ask about beer and, and, and what we're actually producing. So I would love to get us to a space where um, people, people are raving about, our beer just as much as they are about our mission and who we are. And it's starting to happen. And I think having a tap room helps that, you know, like it was really, really hard to find our beer before 2020. Um, (laughs) And so it's, it's been fun to watch people actually get our product for the first time and get really excited about beer. And we try to have a pretty approachable model for our beer as well. Like everything about lady justice, we want people to feel comfortable in this space. And if they don't, like beer or know a lot about beer. We want to teach them that. And so I think just continuing to grow on that path of, of really becoming an example of how you can be a community focused space. Um, like user friendly. Exactly. And then beyond that, you know, going back to what I was saying earlier about wanting more people to understand 
how powerful a social enterprise can be as a business um, and how you can, you can do a lot of wonderful things, both economically and, and just as good neighbors and friends in your community through social enterprise. So I'd love to see more people try to replicate what we're doing at Lady Justice. And we get folks who do reach out quite a bit and and want some mentoring on this. So I, I think it's starting to happen. And then, you know, we're working on, how do we, how do we be an example in the space of um, of making sure that the beer culture is is a, a respectful place for, towards women? How do we set the standard for how to treat employees in a in a space and how to treat guests in a space and how do we set the standard for um, how do we be the example of how to how to do this well and how to do this um, in a way that's equitable for everyone in the space and how do we because women have been marginalized in this business yeah. in the past women have Big time. especially women of color and that's something that um, we're also trying to help foster and support is is how do we make sure that um, beer that the circle is getting bigger and and more inclusive and um, more inclusive so, yeah. so yeah I mean that's really what I would love to see us keep working on and doing. I, and I think that we will because we do it now and I think we'll continue to do it. There's not a whole lot more that I like necessarily want or need <laughs> uh, for ladies. Oh, that's a plateful. It's just a continuation of what we're doing now. You know, there's, I, I can't point to a, like a shiny new thing. I think that we could use or need right now other than just, you know, continuing on this path and, and seeing what happens. It's just very empowering and forgive the corniness, but boy, we sure could use a lot more Lady Justice brewing (sighs) philosophies and women. And it's just, oh man, it's just kudos and hats off. Yeah, I'm going to deify the three of you. You deserve it. I really feel that. Yeah. (laughs) Well, thank you. Can you ship beer anywhere? Yeah, so we, uh, uh, we can ship beer to... Oh, shoot. Um, it's nine states, 11 states, something like that. It's all based off the state that you live in. It's uh, their import laws. Mm-hmm. So we can't just ship anywhere. Um, so we can ship to the states that allow us to ship without having to pay a crap load of money for extra licensing. And so if you go on our website, you can find all that information. Um, so if you just go to ladyjusticebrewing.com, you can find, um, we sell merch online and then we also sell beer um, so there's links for both of those. Um, yeah. So if you're in one of the states we can, we can ship to, uh, we will. That's excellent. We that. Well, Betsy, yeah. it was such a pleasure to meet and get to know you and hear all about this incredible endeavor that the three of you have undertaken. And um, I wish you more continued success and I'll drink to all that. <laughs> you guys yes. Thank done. you. Thank Sorry you. Sorry for yeah. the poor pun. No, that's okay. We, we make them all the time here. <laughs> Thank you again. <laughs> Join us for another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Klein. 